Our reading this morning comes from Luke 22, 7 through 38. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers." Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will crow, will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And... um, 
As we come to the end of this, our vision sermon series, this being the last sermon and Thanksgiving weekend, it is fitting that this is a passage about Jesus' last supper with his disciples. In our, pas- in our passage, it is Passover week, and since all Passover meals had to be done within the city walls to be official, the city is hopping and scrambling with visitors, whole family groups like family reunion time, all the same matching off-color shirts looking for the one nice spot for the cookout. And enter Jesus and his disciples, no matching shirts, no one family name, a diverse group of social and religious alternatives and outcasts. And Jesus, the big brother and leader of the group, gives them some good news. There's a place owned by a man in Jerusalem who did a nice family room add-on on top, and he said, we can use it for our Passover meal. So go get all the food and gather everybody and all of that, and let's get ready to celebrate. It had become customary that the feast of the Passover, Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread were done together for convenience sake. It was like doing family reunions around the 4th of July or Labor Day or even Thanksgiving. And so they would have gotten a lamb slain at the temple and then brought it to eat together for dinner. So here is the the dinner scene, the Last Supper scene. As they begin after Passover dinner to do the feast and ceremony of unleavened bread. Forget Michelangelo's Last Supper, the picture Grandmom and them had up on the wall. They were reclining at the table on the left elbow, laying a little lower than the person to your right with your feet behind you. They had this kind of Japanese-style table thing going on on mats and pillows, and then you would have to use one hand to eat. And Jesus gets up as is customary for the host, which was usually the role of the father, and, and breaks bread and says something uncustomary. Breaking traditional culture, cultural, religious ranks, Jesus says, This is my body, given or broken in some accounts for you. And then he takes a cup of wine and does a religious toast and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And it is beautiful in a bloody sort of vampire cannibalistic way. Bible tells us when he did this, a lot of folk forsook him. I don't know what this guy is talking about. Eat his body, drink his blood, I'm out. And it is at this moment that things began to fall apart. It turns to the dinner scene out of the color purple or the table scene in New Jack City or the Godfather because things get nervy when Jesus follows this awesome toasting scene with the following words, the hand of the one who is on the table with me will betray me. And since everyone had their hand on the table with this, it starts a round and round of, it ain't me, who could it be, right? And then it turns south and they begin to confirm their loyalty as a fight breaks out about who is the greatest. And Jesus lets them know that the one who serves is the greatest. And so as you serve in my grassroots Lord of the Universe election campaign, you will get a post in my cabinet one day. And you can kind of see them feeling better. Some laughing comes back. They're like, yeah, man, I'm going to get a nice corner office in Jesus' kingdom. We, we, we forgot, Lord, that it's going to be all right for us when you come into your own. And then Jesus looks at Peter. 
I mean, Jesus wants to start some mess. He doesn't just want a nice family meal. Folk just trying to have a good time, and he looks over at Peter and calls this brother out, Peter, Peter, saying it twice. And everybody's probably thinking after this big argument that Jesus is about to declare him the greatest, Jesus XO, and he says, Peter, Peter. I'm sure Peter's like, yeah, Lord, I'm here. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. But when you come back to your senses, help others. Okay, this had to be hard for Peter. Can you see Jesus' eyes looking on you? Man, when he says it, when the Lord says it, it's going to be true. And Peter is like, why me? No, wait, not me. I will die for you, partner. I'm, I'm with you, Jesus. Maybe Bartholomew, I mean, listen to his name. I am Peter, the rock, Lord. I got your back. And Jesus says, Peter, before sunup, you will act like you never seen me before. I don't know about you, but I've been in that position, right? Some of us have been there. I remember it happening when mom and dad would confront you in front of the other siblings or cousins. Everybody looking at you, but afraid because they could be next. Everybody quiet. You know, you got the one person, probably my brother, trying not to laugh as you're being confronted. And just when you think you can go ahead and move on and have a good time, Jesus reminds them of what we looked at last week in Matthew 10. He says, remember when I said, don't take any money or sandals and stuff when you went out on your missionary journeys that you had everything, right? And they're like, yeah, Lord. Well, if you got some money, you better take some. And if you have a bag, a money clip, a, a, a satchel, a 401k to hold and save what you got, you you." And to get more, you better get that too. And if you have a coat, you best sell that for a sword or a switchblade or some nunchucks or a taser or something because you are going to need it. In other words, it is better to be cold than not packing for your protection. Because when I do what I need to do, that means dying to clear myself God It ain't going to be easy for y'all anymore. And then the disciples jump up. Well, Lord, we have two swords right here. We're ready to light them up, Lord. And Jesus shakes his head because he's a poet and they act like they don't know it. They take literally what is deeper. And once again, they don't get it. Conversation over because Jesus is perceiving that it's too much for them. They ain't ready to handle all that he must do of what will happen. The end of the Lord's Supper. We have thrown and looked at some hard and offensive and challenging and perplexing and confusing and liberating and exciting stuff at at you in this vision series and has left many of us, me included, much like Jesus' disciples here at the Last Supper, a little confused, a little overwhelmed, needing more information even feeling to act like we actually live with Jesus or like they did, actually like they lived with Jesus for the last three, three years. And like them, it is easy to forget and miss what Jesus is teaching us here at the Last Supper. For God's work through Christ's central church, he is not asking you and me to bring the change, but to come to the change. He's not asking you and and, and me to carry redemption, but be carried and kept by his redemption. He's not asking us to fuel his, his salvation or revolution, but be fed by his salvation. Redemption happens in us, but the burden to make it happen is up to him. 
understand that this is no ordinary meal. This was a celebration of and, and with their soul food. It was a meal and an occasion that was more than a snack, more than just a meal. It told a story. And stories were told around it. They sent a message, and around it, like no other meal, messages were given. And Jesus uses this Passover meal to do just that. It was a soul food event. I don't know whether this is your cultural expression, but like Passover here for my family, there is a different story and message when you're at home and soul food is served, right? I'm not talking about just a chicken and biscuit y'all be eating at Bojangles. But like this Passover, the full spread, this was the fried chicken and the fish, the baked ham and the beef roast. You know you have to have four or five meats. And for some crazy country people, the chitlins, the macaroni and cheese, the green beans, the black-eyed peas, the okra soup, the rice, the collard and turnip greens, the, the candy yams, the biscuits, the cornbread. And for you, it might be a different sort of full-spread soul food, but complete with the desserts, the pound cake, the sweet potato pie, the pecan pie, apple pie, the chocolate cake, uh, the, to wash it all down, maybe some sweet tea or lemonade or the red juice. Or a tall glass of ice water. When you get those elements, it tells a story. It sends a message. And like Jesus with his disciples, that Passover, as with our soul food meals, his message was was clear. I am calling you to a life-changing relationship. And the message it gives Now, understand, like our soul food times, the Passover meal was a family meal, right? You you did it as a household. And for Jesus to have this meal with them, he was declaring and establishing that for them and us to be a people and a place of relationship. To be a people in a place of relationship. It's funny how this happens, but if you come to one of our events, which often centers around food, my family, and our culture, the meal automatically makes us intimate in ways we weren't before, right? And it usually is my dad says, well, you family now. What? Just after eating some greens with hot sauce, is that it? No whippings like we had to get to be family? No struggles? That ain't fair. And he goes on, you're always welcome. And you know what's funny? As I look back at Christmas meals or or Thanksgiving meals, and and maybe you can at your 4th of July celebrations or Sunday dinner, there is always somebody who became family. And oftentimes, they are eating with us because they are too far from home. Some college friend or or someone whose family no longer has a matriarch or patriarch to to, to hold it all together. Or or sometimes it is more deliberate than that. Maybe it's a new girlfriend, a newborn baby, or, or someone that we invited over on purpose, right? The message of this Passover meal is saying that Jesus is building and creating and calling for a place and a people who because of eclectic community and call on their lives to be changed and restored because of the gospel message that can make us aliens and enemies and weirdos and misfits and mishaps in our own communities and families and all the misfit people we bring home with us for the way Jesus has made us crazy. 
Because listening and following Jesus has left many of us, like the disciples, homeless and and feeling alone and needing somebody else who can help us understand who we are and what Jesus is doing in me and through you because Jesus caused such a glorious mess in our lives. He is making and creating and calling people like you and me to a new place as a new people makes sense of what Jesus says here in verse 36 about the need for cloaks and swords. What he is saying is that when he dies and Christianity becomes its own faith distinguished from Judaism, the families and the heritage that help support you when you run around declaring the good news will be gone. You will need your own fellowship. You will need a new family. You will need a new place like you see happening around this table, he's telling his disciples. Jesus is saying, for your survival, you need some help. You, you need somebody or bodies to talk to, to, to share your stories and, and share the stories of redemption. Or else, like we see them doing and pulling out the swords, you will get defensive and fearful and become self-righteous or discouraged or so lonely that you got the whole Christianity thing all wrong. And this happens so often. Christians go off and do their own thing. They don't come in with the rest of the weirdos and misfits that Jesus created. And they become crazy. They become self-righteous in their own ways. And Jesus saying, come in. That through this meal, he is sending a message and a beacon call to all those whose lives have been misplaced and recalled by the gospel in a sinful and broken world. Come to the table because he has secured and created and made a place for you to be known and loved. A place to be served and sharing and seen and fellowship with and and cared for in a confusing and alienating world. Look with me at verse 24 through 27. The dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at, at at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. They are arguing about who is the greatest. There's a couple things I want you to see here. They're reclining at this table. And because of the way they have to lay down on their left arm and just have their right hands available to eat, in order for this to work, they had to use the hand of the person to their left and right to get what they needed. And so Jesus says, who is the greatest servant? The one who is at the table, the one who is not at the table. Of course, Jesus pointing to himself as the greatest servant, the one who's not at the table, but we'll get back to that. But he's also saying that we serve each other in the place and as the people Jesus calling us to be, that we must rely on our sense of familiness and companionship to serve each other at the table, around the table. And it makes sense here when Jesus talks about the greatest being the servant. Because think about it. When the thing you need is a couple of platters away and you can't reach it, 
You know who the greatest is? The one who can pass you what you need and you can't get for yourself. Jesus calling us to to a people in a place where we only make it as we serve each other. But get this, where you can only get what you need if you get served, right? They only have their right hands to serve them, y'all. We are all one-handed in our ability to make it happen in and for ourselves, to heal and fix ourselves and bring comfort to ourselves. And Jesus is saying, come to a place you can only get served as you serve each other, a place where everyone is needy of service and everyone is in a position to serve. This new place and people is the church. Because gospel change will not and cannot happen. The restoration of lives and community and families, that that cultural burdens will not be alleviated, that that eclectic, diverse community and changing the South for the better will not, cannot happen without you being found and finding and being a part of a people and place called the church. That there is room at the table. For you, through Jesus, but by all means, find a table in a place somewhere. It doesn't have to be Christ central. It can be any church, because on your own, your faith in this world will overwhelm, discourage, and confuse you. So good news, Jesus calls us to a new place as a new people. We have a home and a family of people who serve and will be served together because of Christ. And it's in this place in his people that Jesus authenticates us. He keeps us and holds on to us. We see Jesus call out the betrayer in verse 21 through this meal. Judas, who is not his, who turns out not to believe in Jesus. But right after that, he calls out Peter in verse 34 as being the one who will deny him, who will fall under the pressure of Satan. And then the sword thing, completely misunderstanding what Jesus is saying to them in verse 38. Get this. They take Jesus' conversation about who and how his body will be broken for them and bloodshed and that one of them will betray him and turn it into a conversation about who was the most righteous. Know this from this passage. Like them, y'all. We, you and I, will make mistakes and sin. And fail and fall and let Jesus and other folk down in this world. In the midst of the gospel calling your, your lives, you will ignore the poor when you shouldn't. Some of you will laugh and or let racist and sexist jokes fly by. You will at times be too afraid to speak up and in arrogance speak too much. You will get much of what this Bible is saying wrong lots of times. And thus goes the testimony of your own pastor's life. I don't long with some of you always believe Jesus like I should. It gets hard to trust and believe this stuff all the time. Man, especially when it comes to this church. Come on, y'all. Sometimes I'm like, Jesus, this is too hard. Forget the gospel and Christianity. Forget the church and being a believer. But while you're saying forget it, selling it out, misunderstanding and twisting it, be assured of what Jesus assured Peter. And when he calls his name twice, don't get it confused. This is not like mama having to call you twice and so the beat is going to be that much worse. This is not a double call of frustration. This is affection. 
This is a, a, a love for a child, a younger brother, that will go through some condemning situations of things that will try his faith. Jesus is caring and loving on Peter with these words. And it tells us how he sees and addresses us in our own failures and misconceptions and fears. Jesus declaring he will not abandon the gospel that is happening in you and me. Therefore, he will not leave or forsake the leaving and forsaking. He will pray for the prayerless, that he will be the truth for those that misunderstand, that he will speak for the choked up, that he will be the servant of those who want to be haughty, that he will fix all that we have broken in our arrogance and ignorance, that he will keep up with the runner and go down with the sinner, that this is what the gospel that Jesus loves and never will stop loving sinners that are his people that he's eternally committed to them in ways that they will not and cannot be committed to him, that he will cover and deal with and take on our mistakes and like Peter, forgive and return them, that he is forever forgiving. So you cannot ruin the gospel in this world and in you. Jesus will not let you or allow you to fall away from him though you deny him, that you can't mess up what Jesus already promised to do in you and through you, that yes, he will call us out like he does Peter, but then love and stay with and help and heal us out of it. The gospel is coming. Change is coming. And if you are his, it is coming through an unbreakable, unstoppable love of God for those who are in the crosshairs and and crossroads and and backroads of a gospel revolution in the New South who are broken, not always trusting, confused, so-called soldiers of, of God. Welcome for some and for others. Welcome back to this, the assurance of Jesus's love through the gospel. And it shows and tells us that we are not called to be fuel or be the fuel of the revolution, but to turn to Jesus as the food, the soul food of our hearts. Again, like any gathering of this sort around soul food, there is a message and a story communicated through and by it. And food, my culture says, we've survived. Our family is here. That there is dignity, regardless of broken history and broken circumstances. Look at the food. Look at the spread. Look at the faces around. We made it. Let's celebrate. Let's eat. Let's live heaven now as if it's coming. At the Passover, they would say the following line as they broke the bread. This is the bread of affliction. Our ancestors ate when they came from Egypt. And it was done to point to the middle passage between freed slaves to entering the promised land when they wandered in the desert, sometimes unsure of whether it would ever happen for them. And that time many died, many suffered, but God fed them bread from heaven and kept them. And they did eventually, another generation, enter the promised land. Now Jesus gets up. And he breaks the bread. And he says, my body broken for you. And then with the wine, this is my blood shed for you. And in doing so, in substituting it in that way, the way that he did in saying the things 
he is saying the things that separate you from God, from having right relationship with God and yourself and with, uh, with, uh, with each other and you in the world, will happen as I die on the cross. That, that your sense of, of revolutionary freedom and peace relies on me. That I will be the bread of your affliction. I will take on the penalty of your sin and share in your suffering. And in my act of dying, I will bear the burden of the gospel. But I am also the fuel and power and drive and God behind the redemption you experience. Jesus saying, I am the soul food because I am food for your soul. He's saying you can enter a rest and believe. And be restored and unburdened and reconciled and motivated to eat of him and his words, to, to eat of his worship, to, to be with his people, to, to be a part of his ministry and his sacraments and his Lord's Supper, to take in his grace and your in his gospel for your soul and all the ways he has given. Jesus saying, like the lamb we ate, like this broken bread and wine I served, I died to be your food and I live to feed In our family gatherings back in the day, we don't have it the same anymore. But my aunt, we affectionately called Annie, because I couldn't say Auntie, so it's Annie. You know how them names stick. Somebody couldn't talk right, and that became a nickname. My Annie would shop all day. Food costs a lot. Now that I'm an adult, I realize that. She paid for it. Then she would cook all day. And when people would be there just eating, I would look up and, and she wouldn't even have a plate in her hand. It would literally be like her food was watching us. It was just interesting. You know, th- there's that moment when you're eating and it gets real quiet. Because people just eating. You just hit a, the, the, the silverware hitting the plates and, and stuff. And, and I'm looking over in the kitchen, and she'll be standing in the doorway of the kitchen, between the kitchen and the dining room, and she'll just be looking at each person. But what is she eating? We eating, and she's not there, but she's satisfied. Like she lived on feeding us, and when it would go quiet, she would just stand there and watch. Jesus says this in verse 16. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to drink until the kingdom comes. And that after they have discussion about who's the greatest and being the one who is the meal, the one being the greatest at the meal, and, and then he rises from his lounging while others lounge to make it available for them to eat, he has to stand to use both hands to break it for them to eat. And then he declares, even after these confused disciples argued about who is the greatest, that they will sit on 12 thrones of Israel which ultimately meant that they will help bring in tribes of people from the gospel into the kingdom. But get this, Jesus was declaring, as the greatest servant among you, your food is me. My food is serving and suffering 
and holding and keeping and loving and restoring and providing all of what you and the world need in order to experience the honor and dignity and wonder and glory of being with God. Jesus is saying, I will not rest until you can. The Lord is saying, I will not sit in the place of honor so that one day you can. I will not eat but die so that you can eat and live eternally. I will not stop being the savior of sinners until you and all my people are redeemed and come home and sit around the table and know of my love and eat the gospel offering of my soul food. It is the gospel of Christ Jesus.